What can gold, frankincense, and myrrh teach single men today? Well, not much, but the men in the Bible who had these goods can actually teach us a lot today and a lot about singleness. Today, we are diving into nine lessons from these three men. Stay tuned. Well, happy December and Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you are just joining in today, this is our fifth episode of the podcast this year. And let me just say it has been an absolute honor to bring you these messages the past few months. And I am so grateful for you taking some time out of your day to grow together. Today, like always, we are reframing singleness as a pursuit of what matters most, and I am really excited about today's content. About a year and a half ago, I started this study on three men in the Bible who usually don't get much attention. Now, we've all seen these men before in our mom's nativity scene, or maybe you were one of these guys in your first grade play at church, but I believe that these men offer more to us than just a few shiny gifts and gifts that also smell good too. The wise men are the ones we are studying today. And Matthew 2 is the only book out of the four gospels that mentions these guys. We learned that when Jesus was born, a group of men who are called Magi in scripture traveled from the east to where Jesus was in order to meet him, to give him gifts and to worship him. Now, traditionally, when we think of the wise men as being a group of three men, but scripture doesn't actually say how many there were. And so three isn't always the most accurate number here. We just don't know. Some scholars actually believe that there were many more than just three, but we say three because these guys brought the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As single guys today, I think there are some real principles that are noticeable in the lives of these three men in scripture and that we can apply to our lives right now. So in light of Advent season this month, let's jump into 10 different lessons that we can learn from these wise men. Number one, Jesus is best pursued in community. We start off the story of the wise men with learning that they traveled far distances from multiple countries, and many scholars actually believe that each of these men were from different countries spread throughout the eastern part of the world. Regardless of where they actually came from, these men had come together to make the expedition to Jerusalem. These men were not alone. They traveled together to encounter Jesus. As humans, we are extremely relational and social creatures, and God has designed us to need one another. I'm willing to bet that if one of these wise men had traveled and tried to travel across the world to meet Christ, that he might not have made it traveling alone. But the Lord brought these men together so that they could form a community of men to find Jesus. Today, you need a community of men to pursue Jesus with. You could travel from halfway across the world by yourself, but it is much more effective with others around you. When you have others you do life with, as you learn about and learn from Jesus, you discover all kinds of great benefits that you would not have been able to have trying to do life alone. With others, you gain new perspectives, receive prayers, and become a stronger version of yourself through honest and meaningful conversations. 
So just like the wise men had each other, who are the men in your life that you are pursuing Jesus with? The next lesson that we can learn from the wise men is number two, we should pursue Jesus in faith. When the wise men decided to travel hundreds of miles from their homes to meet the prophesied savior of the world, they didn't actually have any proof that Jesus was in Jerusalem and that he was going to save the sins of the world. The wise men instead had revelation from God that his son was available, and these men still decided to pursue him. I think a lot of us expect Jesus to prove himself before we follow him. We want him to answer our prayers, meet our needs, or give us some sort of breakthrough in our life before we opt into totally following him. We need to ask ourselves, are you willing to follow Jesus even if he doesn't do what you ask him to do? Sometimes our motives can get too transactional and we are motivated to follow him only when things work out our way. When was the last time you have taken some time to reflect on your motives for following Jesus? These wise men followed Jesus in faith despite what they could and couldn't see about Jesus in their life, and despite Jesus not doing anything for them in return. The next point is number three, Jesus should create a deep reverence within us. So I'm going to throw a wrench in your nativity scene here for just a second. Traditionally, when people think about these wise men, they think that they showed up on the night that Jesus was born to the stable or to the barn. But what is more accurate is that these guys most likely arrived on the scene when Jesus was already two years old. So picture a young boy, Jesus, when the wise men got to him. Matthew 2 verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. After traveling a very long distance for what probably was years, the Magi had finally met Christ. These guys were so awestruck and enamored by Jesus that they immediately began to worship him. Again, they weren't waiting on what Jesus could do for them, but instead they got into a posture to acknowledge and praise the king. Sometimes we fall prey to having the wrong vision of Jesus. We think that he is just a name we hear on Sundays or a person that is deep in history that taught us a lot of good things, but the person of Jesus should create a deep reverence within each of us. I think about the word awesome and how much I use that word myself. I was actually challenged recently by one of my seminary professors that the word awesome should only be reserved for God. You see what that word literally means is filled with all. And I noticed that in my vocabulary, the same word that I was using to describe God, the God of the entire universe was also the same word that I was using to describe the pizza that I had last night. God and pizza, very different things. And I used so many of my texts when I was responding to friends, I used the word awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Right before I would I would respond to a friend. But what I have really tried to change and reserve is, is that word for God. You see, we all need to have words in our vocabulary that are reserved for the reverence and all that we experience when we meet God. And what we'll notice is just like the wise men is that when we have an all for him, our actions reflect that, which leads me to my next point. Number four, which is our actions flow from our perspective of Jesus. 
As soon as the wise men had seen Jesus, they were filled with awe and they were filled with joy and they bowed down and worshiped him. So you notice here in the story that they go from a heart of joy and a mind of awe to a body actually reflecting the posture of their heart and mind. So when your heart is in the right place and you're connected to Jesus and his person and his mission, your actions will follow. You've heard me say it before, but I think we really see this with our wise man here in Matthew. Our obedience is based more on our relationship with God than it is our own self-control. What I mean by that is focus on the relationship, focus on the personhood of Jesus, and watch your actions line up. Just like the wise men's actions of worship flowed from a deep reverence from him, so your actions can do the same. Number five, we give to Jesus what is valuable to us. In the same verse, we watch the wise men arrive at the house, they notice Jesus, and they worship him. We also see the wise men giving gifts to Jesus. Scripture says that they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, even though these gifts might have seem might seem like they have little value today, we have to remember the context of the world in which this story takes place. Frankincense and myrrh are both spices that come from trees out in the eastern parts of the world. And at this point in history, these were worth a great deal of money and were extremely valuable resources. The wise men gave to Jesus what was valuable to them. In the same way, we are called to give to Jesus what is valuable to us. Jesus at two years old didn't need gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and today he doesn't need our gifts either. But instead, the wise men gave to Jesus because they saw him as the king who is worthy of their gifts. What kinds of things have you been entrusted with that you can give to the kingdom of God? You say, well, I don't have any frankincense or I don't have any myrrh and I definitely don't have any money to give, but you do have time. You do have energy and you have a house or an apartment to welcome people into. God has entrusted you with certain resources in order that you can bless others. Number six, following Jesus is countercultural. So when the wise men came to Jerusalem, the destination that they were journeying towards, they were asking others where they would be able to find Jesus. They arrived in town and they started asking people, hey, where's the king? Do you know where the king is? Well, the king of that area at the time was King Herod, and he wasn't very happy about people, the wise men, looking for a king other than himself. So in a deceptive way and trying to appear useful to the wise men, King Herod decided to ask the wise men where Jesus was. He told them to go and search carefully for the child and then to report back to him so that Herod could go and worship Jesus too. Obviously, King Herod had very different motives for asking the Magi where Jesus was, and he wasn't actually planning to go worship Jesus himself. Herod was greatly disturbed and was going to combat the threat that he was feeling. Matthew 2 verse 3 tells us that all of Jerusalem was also disturbed as well. 
So here you have a group of men who are foreigners from far away from the East, opting to go against the culture that they had just arrived in, in order that they could find someone that they had never met. The Magi were extremely countercultural. No one in Jerusalem liked them, and they all felt threatened by them. But yet, what do we see? We see that they continue to pursue what God was calling them to do. We need to recognize this as Christ followers today. We are countercultural. If you follow Jesus today, you are hated at large. It might not just be the primary political leader that wants nothing to do with your faith, but it actually might be an entire city or group of people with an agenda to counteract anything you believe in as truth. As you navigate life as a countercultural Christian, you have the opportunity to be an active agent of light and of change. Jesus tells us that we are the salt in the light of the world. We are to stick out and be different wherever we are placed. And the wise men were willing to be different in order to follow Jesus, even when an entire town was against them. Are you willing to be different too? Are you willing to go against what might be mainstream or culturally accepted to do in order to follow Christ? It's a question that all of us need to be asking ourselves daily. We also learned something else from King Herod and the rest of the people in Jerusalem, and that is, number seven, that insecure identity leads to irrationality and impulsion. This one is an easy one to see. See, King Herod had a kingdom for himself. He did not follow God, and instead, he was his own God, and he wanted his name to be known throughout the region. His identity was found in himself and his status and his fame. Herod was so deeply disturbed that another king other than him might actually be in the land. Later in the story of the wise men, we find out that Herod was actually so troubled that he took very drastic actions to eliminate the threat. In verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2, Herod used his position as king to order that all boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area be killed. Herod saw a threat and he killed anyone who fit the mold of that threat. Insecure identity leads to irrational and impulsive actions. When we place our worth, value, or hopes on our own success, our own status, our own wealth, we will do the unimaginable. We will say sharp and degrading things to others that we never thought we'd say, when we sense that someone else is threatening our security. If you reflect on your life recently, has there been any irrational or impulsive actions that you can think of? I would challenge you to take an honest look at yourself and see if some of your actions could be stemming from your identity being rooted too much in yourself and you seeking to fight against the threat of maybe losing power, reputation, status, or even wealth in your life. Rooting your identity in Christ is key, and we must operate from the work of Christ as sons of God who are redeemed and made new. We are his children, and he is our God, and your actions flow from your identity in him. 
Number eight, direction from God usually comes after time with him. The next point is learned from what the Magi did after they had an encounter with Jesus. We know that the wise men came from the east and on their journey, they met Herod, who was asking them to come back and report to him where Jesus was. Well, after these men met Christ, God changed the direction of their lives. Verse 12 says that they returned to their country by another route. God redirected the journey and the plans that the wise men had originally made for themselves. We can learn from this that God will allow us to get to where we are trying to go, but oftentimes the journey there is a different journey than what we had planned for ourselves. Proverbs 16.9 says that in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Are you prepared for God to alter your plans after you have an encounter with him? Are you willing to go a different route and take a different journey in faith that God has your best interest in mind? It's a question we all need to be asking ourselves daily. My last point, number nine, is that our stories of our encounters with Jesus should be told to others. After the Magi spent time with him, they went back to their home countries. And I can't help but wonder how they reported their trip to their friends and to their family once they were back home. They just traveled across the planet in ancient times. And then when they arrived home, I wonder how did they communicate what they had just witnessed about Jesus to others? There's not a doubt in my mind that they shared with others clearly and passionately about what they had seen. When we encounter Christ and we reorganize our lives around him, we must share our experience with others. The wise men had a story to tell. They crossed countries, they met the king, they were persecuted by the king and by all the people in that region, and then they came home through a new route. What was your story to Jesus? How did you get there? What people did you encounter along the way? Were you pressured to stop pursuing him at some point? We all have stories of how he came to Christ and how we discovered the hope of the world. And it is important that we steward these stories and share them with others. The author Matthew shared this story with us about the wise men, and we get to share with others about our trip to Jesus and our experience with him. And this month, we celebrate that. Not only this month, but every month, every day, we celebrate the birth of a boy in Bethlehem, a boy who was raised up and who saw a world that was hopeless and who decided to take on the sins of the world. He took the ultimate punishment of death and even death on a cross, but because people didn't just need an atonement for their sins, they needed new life. Jesus rose from the dead and in doing so, he conquered all sins ever committed by all people everywhere at all times, past, present, and future. And this month we celebrate this. We celebrate a God who loves deeply and gives generously, a God who has no threat to his kingdom and is alive today as much as he was alive when the wise men showed up at his house. 
I hope you take some time to think about how your life parallels with the wise men in this story. I am confident that if we can learn from the wise men in Matthew chapter two, we will experience transformation, which leads to abundant and very fulfilling lives. Because the truth is wise men still pursue Jesus today. I am really grateful for you listening in today and throughout this year, especially as this is such a new project for me that I have been undertaking. I would love to connect with you and you can find me on Instagram at Sam T. McManus or on my website at sammcmanus.com. Special thanks today to my friend Ben Ellison and to my producer Dylan Baker. Appreciate both of you guys so much. I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas, and I'll see you again next year as we continue to reframe singleness as a pursuit of what matters most.